0: at CareerBuilder.com.
1: <clears throat> Hello, everybody, and welcome into the very first episode of the TTP football show. My name is Charlie Gross. I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Charlie underscore Gross underscore. You can find this analytics company, Trust the Process Analytics, at TTP underscore analytics. We also have a Facebook group, We have an Instagram account, and of course, as I said, we have a Twitter account. Really looking forward to this. This is our first official episode. The website has also launched today. Very excited to share our analytics with you. We'll have completion percentage metrics, uh, some form of player grades. We've got a metric called draft value score, which is going to be able to allow us to measure draft pick hit rate, and also the draft value returned to the team. We also have a Patreon, which I will link in the description. And I really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. I have a great guest for you, especially if you're a Detroit Lions fan. Kent Lee Platt will be joining me. I'm sure a lot of you know him from the draft. He's the relative athletic score guy. You can find him on Twitter at mathbomb. And with that said, let's get right into the interview with Kent. NFL fans, welcome into the very first episode of the TTP football show brought to you by Trust the Process, Analytics, and 12 Squared. I have a very awesome guest for you today. Uh, He is the runner of the Pro Football Network Mock Draft Simulator, also does analytics and applications development for them. And of course, you probably know him if you're in the draft at all interested in it from the Relative Athletic Score, and he's here to talk with me about Detroit Lions. Mr. Kentley Platt is here. How are you doing? Fantastic,
0: man. Glad to be here for your first show.
1: Yeah, this is really exciting. Uh, It's kind of ironic, too, because throughout the last two or three years of me sort of trying to develop the, my analytics stuff, I, I think, you know, every now and then, like three or four months, I would kind of pop up in your DMS and a, oh, ask you a question. And, and it was very gracious of you to, to take a few minutes of your time to, to help me out with that. So I appreciate that.
0: No, no problem. And anytime. Else, that's what may, makes social media fun.
1: Yeah, definitely. So the focus really, at least of the first segment is going to be uh, team building, drafting development, stuff like that. But, but as we talked about, the lions have a new regime here. There's no history that we we can really look at specifically to uh, the coach and the GM. So I guess I'm going to have to ask you almost like a hypothetical or or ask you to predict the future a little bit. What have you learned about the lions and what they want to do in, in terms of, of, what you've heard in press conferences, how they they ran the draft this year, the type of culture they want to build, and the type of players they might be looking for in the future.
0: Yeah, it's a very interesting team because of all the former players that they brought in. You know, it's it's not just Dan Campbell; they also brought in Antoine Randall L. and uh, their defensive coordinator, their offensive coordinator. Everybody on this team, seemingly, is a former player. Um, even general manager Brad Holmes, everybody's played in the NFL before. It's very unique. It's very different. I don't know if it's good, but I guess we'll find that out eventually. Um, they're taking a different approach to analytics. Even just hiring somebody like Brad Holmes is indicative of a team that's trying to do something different with analytics. Uh, Holmes was very deep into the analytics world um, while he was working with the Rams in charge of their, their draft prep. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that looks from a long-term perspective. Um, one of the things that I really like that the team has done is they brought in a bunch of people with differing types of voices. They brought in John Dorsey, who has a very different type of voice in how he approaches the draft than Brad Holmes did while he was with the Rams. Uh, they approach the quarterback position differently, they approach the wide receiver position differently, they approach the defensive line differently. Um, but having those different voices in a room is very important if you're willing to listen to them. And that's one of the most promising things about this Detroit team is that they seem very willing to have those conversations and to look at things from different angles and take those differing opinions into account when they're making their decisions. Uh, The types of players that they're picking, um, it's only one draft, so we don't really have a whole lot to base it on. Uh, It seems largely similar to how Holmes ran the draft for L.A. L.A. didn't have any first round round picks in seemingly forever. Um, but they do draft a certain type of player at most positions. They, they don't generally tend to focus on athleticism on their offensive line, but they really do at positions like linebacker, defensive end, um, cornerback, um, a couple of those positions, the lions severely lack athleticism, particularly the defensive line and the linebacker positions. Uh, but Holmes went out and he got a guy like Derek Barnes out of Purdue, who's an extremely athletic, fast, and rangy linebacker, a player that Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn wouldn't have even considered because he was under 245 pounds and they had a very strict size requirement that was dumb, uh, but also not based on any solid analytics, whereas anybody who's looked at any, any, any analytics nowadays would know that that's just a really weird line to draw in the sand because there's so many good linebackers that are underneath it. Getting just the guys that are above it severely limits your chances of success, which is why former second round pick Jelani Tavai is now back with his original coach in new England because he's not here anymore. Um, But uh, the offensive line, he took a different approach. Holmes did. He didn't draft a guy with below average measurables trying to find value Um, He drafted Pene Sewell, who is an extremely talented athlete, especially when you take his size into consideration. Uh, He drafted one of the most athletic nose tackles in decades, in Lynn McNeil. He drafted uh, Levi Amazrique uh, on the interior defensive line as well, another supreme athlete on the interior line. So he took uh, uh, positions that had been neglected from an athletic standpoint and immediately injected talent and speed and explosiveness into them Um, So the start is very promising for this regime in terms of the types of players that they're bringing in free agency, not so much. Uh, It was his first attempt at free agency. He wasn't really a a big part of the free agency for LA. Um, His primary focus was the draft. Um, His first quote unquote, big free agent landing was Rashad Perriman who eventually got cut in his first year which the previous regime probably wouldn't have done. They probably wouldn't have cut pyramid because this wide receiver core is a nightmare and they got to have somebody there and they may as well have the guy they paid to do it. Um, But Holmes was smart enough to look at it and be like, no, if we're going to have nobody back there, we don't need to just keep the guy that we paid. We can can move forward with that. Um, That's a really positive sign to be able to show that they're willing to move on from a free agent mistake. Um, It's also a negative sign that they made that mistake to begin with. But it was a cheap mistake because they didn't spend very big on free agency. Pearman was one of their biggest spendings in free agency. They only spent a couple million to bring him in, which I mean, that's a lot of money for me, but not so much (laughs) for a a free agency signing. So a lot of this stuff looks it looks promising. We've got to see some results on the field and we're not going to get that in year one. Um, The other thing that this team has made pretty clear in their actions, not in their words, but in their actions is that this is a long haul. This is not a short-term, we're going to throw it together and and try to make this work now. Um, The only significant player that they brought in at all this offseason was Michael Brockers on the defense, who's a very good player, but also later in his career and primarily a one-way player. He's really just a a run defender, um, very strong leader in the locker room, but he's not a huge impact player for the team. And Jared Goff, who they were – forced to take in the Matthew Stafford trade um, golf's going to be one of those things that kind of defines how the tenure of Holmes and Campbell go, because the way that they talked about the quarterback position prior to the golf trade was about a guy with a big arm, lots of mobility, you know, all these, all these positive uh, physical traits that really define the quarterback position in today's NFL. They compared them to players, um, like Mahomes and and uh, Russell Wilson and guys like that that are, are known for those types of, of playmaking ability. And then they brought in Goff, who doesn't have any of those things. He doesn't have a huge arm. He's not athletic at all. He has almost no running ability. But they brought in Tim Boyle as the backup, who that's the only thing he has. He has no passing ability, but he's got plenty of athleticism and can run. And I believe the focus is going to be on a long-term build to try to bring in somebody like that in the future and use golf as that bridge quarterback. As they go, they signed him to a, uh, they restructured his contract rather. So he's going to be here in 2021 and he's going to be here in 2022. It's going to cost 31 million, I believe next year, if they were to to try to cut him. Oh boy. Um, That's a big one. I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, But 2023 there, this team is probably looking at a different quarterback and they could have that quarterback next year and there would be no pressure to try to get them on the field because they're going to be front off out there.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting, and I really love what they did say about the rebuild. I'm a big fan of talking about team building, and one of the things that really drives me nuts, and I think it's a detriment to the whole league almost in general and to players when they're drafted in a lot of senses is – Teams aren't patient with rebuilds. Even, uh, you know, in my previous life, shall we say, my main focus was Buffalo Bills content creation. And even Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott kind of came in and they're like, oh, we got to win these games. And I'm thinking to myself, man, just lose as so many games as possible to get a high draft pick. So I really appreciate sort of the Lions' honesty and, and, and commitment to a plan. And I, and I think the Jared Goff thing is interesting because from an outsider's point of view – when he was first traded to the Lions, I think there were a few stories that came out about how, like Brad Holmes was that was like his guy, like Golf was his guy, and and now having him on the Lions, I I think it really kind of I guess they're not under pressure right to draft a quarterback next year if they don't want to. It's supposed to be maybe at least early reports that it's a little bit of an underwhelming quarterback class this year, so theoretically they don't have to take a guy. Uh, high next year and they can maybe wait until the next draft cycle. If that's what they choose to do.
0: Yeah. That's, what's nice about it. You know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Goff's game, but they don't have to go out and get a guy this year. They didn't this year. They had the opportunity to get Justin Fields. and They decided instead to get Penny Sewell. Um, I'm not a big fan of their, their plan to put him at right tackle. Instead of moving him on the left, they already have Taylor Decker. It was a very good left tackle but uh, I prefer guys that play their natural position that are already good there. Uh, but, But that's, that's kind of picking, you know, we, we, we know that the 2022 draft class, at least right now, doesn't look very strong. The two top guys from that class are in general considered to be Sam Howell and Spencer Rattler. And both of those guys had pretty bad weeks. This, this week, I actually watched 14 quarterbacks over the last week. Oh boy. Because the first two I watched, were Rattler and Powell and they did poor enough that I'm like, oh crap. Now I have to try to figure out if we have to adjust our rankings for our mock draft simulator, if we need to consider moving other guys up, do we need to adjust anything just yet? Do we need to uh, move them down 20 spots or maybe one or two? You know, do we want to over, we don't want to over, um, over adjust and move guys too far down. But that's probably the same type of process that a guy like Holmes is looking at with, with John Dorsey is looking back and going, you know, maybe these guys didn't do that good. Maybe we don't have to, or maybe we can look at picking a quarterback with our second pick in the first round, which is another process I, I wouldn't be too pleased with, but that is a potential option for the team since they have two first round picks next year is taking up a, a premier defensive player like Kayla, Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon and, um, and then taking a quarterback with their second pick, or maybe using that second pick to trade up a little higher to get a quarterback. Uh, They've got a lot of options. And if those options are just not great for 2020, 2021 or 2022, um, they can start looking ahead to 2023 and start looking at the quarterbacks from that class. They've got a little bit of leeway that you don't normally have. And because the team is so bad right now, from a roster perspective, um, they, they basically blew up, lot of positions you know the quarterback's completely different the wide receiver room's completely different um you know the linebacker group is is mostly different the entire defensive line is is kind of the same except for those two interior guys that they brought in but a lot of these guys are moved around and changing and i expect it to be the same thing next year they're going to change a lot of these positions around and try to get something going with the roster but none of this is like one year. This is all several years. And you saw it with Dan Campbell's comments this week about how he wants to develop his younger players. The lions have, I think the second youngest roster in the NFL right now. And that's another influence of Dorsey Dorsey did the same thing with the Browns. He got, he got his young roster, as young as he could, and as talented as he could, and then built up from there. And the lions seem to be taking a very similar track.
1: Yeah. That's really interesting that, you know, John Dorsey landed there and you Brad Holmes obviously came from the Rams. Do you think that, and I don't mean maybe this year, obviously, do you think that he would be open to running the Lions kind of like the Rams do in terms of their draft picks? You know, and I understand that maybe the Rams are doing it that way because obviously they have Aaron Donald, they want to maximize the window that they have with him do you think that's something that's in the lion's future down the road or, or is that more of like a less need sort of thing? And, and you can't really see the lions taking that strategy to just trade away first round picks and um you know, for guys like that.
0: Yeah. The biggest difference between this team and that one is the amount of talent they have currently on the roster. One of the reasons the Rams were able to be, to trade away their first round picks pretty much every year is because they already had a pretty strong roster. They were able to build that defense up through multiple mid and late round picks, primarily their secondary. One of the things that Holmes has done extremely well is finding guys in undrafted free agency or the late rounds at cornerback and safety who end up hitting. And it, it actually seems like he might have done that again this year. The Lions starting nickel day one could be AJ Parker, an undrafted free agent he picked up this year, who pretty much won everything in camp. He came into camp as as nothing, um, just some secondary afterthought. They actually signed two other free agents to play nickel, and he beat both of them plus an established special teamer that they had on the team to get that spot. So he's very talented at finding these types of guys, the guys that can help build a roster without spending higher resources, which is great if you have a roster already built. The lions don't, they need to bring in talent. So I don't think that they're going to start doing what the Rams have been doing where they trade away their first round picks to bring in established talents. Um, I feel like they're probably going to build through the draft at least for the next couple of years. And if the lions ever get to the point where they have a good enough roster where that becomes an option, I think it's possible that they do that. I feel like that's largely a less need thing, but if Holmes was involved in those conversations and, and evaluating the talent that they had in the upcoming draft, for instance, because you have to evaluate the worth of that pick, not just the players that you're getting with the pick, but the worth of the pick itself. Um, if he does that type of thing and he still has that kind of mindset from when he was in the Rams, that was something that he was involved in, then that could be something they do a couple of years down the road. All
1: right. Before we, we get into sort of the the outlook of the team and the season, I do want to ask you about Dan Campbell. Uh, you know, I mentioned that from an outsider's point of view, he seems, I don't know, it seems a little silly. A, a lot of people have said, oh man, I wouldn't want, you know, that, that guy as my head coach, some of the stuff he says uh it, you know, people view it as embarrassing like I said, I'm familiar with it a little bit because we had Rex Ryan here in Buffalo, and I don't know if that's an insult to Dan Campbell. If it is, uh, Dan, I apologize. I'm not trying to lump you in that that group necessarily. What is Dan Campbell really like? And I know you said uh, off air that he kind of can't help himself, but what is what is he really like for those people who are who are listening and think that he's just a silly guy?
0: So first I got to offer a little bit of context for how this looks in Detroit versus how this looks outside of Detroit. Detroit is coming off Matt Patricia, who was very abrasive, not just to the media, but just in general, the way that he talked, the way that he approached the team, the way that he talked about the team, the way that he talked about his players. He was not very approachable. He wasn't very friendly. He wasn't very open. He was very secretive, just like the Patriots that he came from. Um, Dan Campbell has been none of that. He's been extremely open about the team, open about the way that he wants to approach each position, um, open about how the players are doing in camp and the guys that he wanted to, to get some reps. Um, one example is we had uh, Alizé Mack and, uh, I forget who the other one, Brock Wright in training camp at tight end, and they basically had nobody else. We have uh, TJ Hawkinson, of course, um, and then we have an established starter at that second spot. We had two other guys that had, one of the guys had to make the roster we thought between them because it can't just be Hawkinson and Fells. spoiler. It's just Hawkinson and Fells right now. Um, but when he talked about those other guys, he wasn't like, Oh yes, they're talented, talented young guys that were are trying to get reps to. He said, look, they, they've got to show more. We've, we've got to see more from them for them to be on this roster to make it. That's not the kind of stuff that we got before. And we would probably get, Him, Our head coach chastising whichever reporter had asked that question. So it's a very different type of demeanor and a different approach to the game. The players seem to be having fun. And even though they did under Matt Patricia at times, it didn't seem like it in general because the team was losing and the players were frustrated. And that shows. But it doesn't seem like they're doing that with Dan Campbell, even though they haven't played any games yet to win or lose. Uh, They seem to be having a grand old time. And as much as it seems on the outside that Dan Campbell's goofy, and he is, like I said, he can't can't help himself. He has to say something weird, (laughs) something that's going to get picked up as a headline. He has to. He can't get away with it. Um, But even his initial press conference where the, the kneecaps one, that's just for outside reference, that's the kneecaps one. Um, that entire press conference was extremely enlightening about his time as an interim head coach for the dolphins and what he brings to the team as a player coming on as a, as a head coach and how he wants to take on team building. This is where he talked about his approach to the quarterback position and how he thinks that he wants to have somebody that's a little bit more athletic on the move, bigger arm, that type of stuff. He went into individual positions and broke down how he wants to build a team and what his philosophical approach was to all of those things. And then he talked about eating kneecaps. And that's what everybody remembers. Was the <laughs> so yeah. it's it's he is a goofy dude. He is a, a a weird guy. And there was a really good piece I think in the Athletic that that kind of shed some light on the kind of person he is and the demeanor that he has. He is those things. That's that's part of who he is. Um, but he's not just some goofball moron. Or at least he doesn't come across that way when you actually listen to him. He's he's a very intelligent guy who seems to know a lot of intricacies about multiple positions, not just tight end where he originally played, not just offense where he played as a pro and where he coached originally on the offense, but team building in general and how he approaches the entire team, how he approaches offense, defense um, and philosophical stuff. It all comes across when he's talking. And if he hasn't said something weird, you just have to listen to him for a little bit longer.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's that's a good way to put it, because initially when I heard that, I just, oh, my God, like, you're kidding me. Yeah, good luck, Detroit. But then I, I did go back, and I did listen to that press conference. And, you know, I, I think you're right. He did say it was pretty enlightening, pretty honest, and he did say a lot of things that, that were really interesting. So, <clears throat> I mean, I guess if I'm a Detroit fan, I, I'm looking at that, like you said, I, can't, I couldn't even imagine having Matt Patricia as a coach. He just seemed, you know, not even secret. He just seemed unhappy, like, uh, you know, discontent, rude, just like, for lack of a better term, like a jerk. So mm-hmm. I, I can see how Detroit fans would welcome, uh, you know, Dan Campbell and certainly as a breath of fresh air.
0: Yeah, very much. And that, that does pretty much describe him, you know, Matt Patricia privately, he did a lot of really good stuff. Um, he was always really good about donating to veterans causes. Um, and he always made sure that he made that a point of focus when he talked about the stuff that he was doing in the community, he wasn't just a jerk. Um, but that's how he came across no matter what he was talking about. He, he did a lot of good stuff. Off the field, on the field, I don't think there was very many good things. Um, But as a person and as a a person who projects himself nationally in media, he definitely did not have a positive demeanor. Uh,
1: Before we talk about the season and that kind of stuff, why don't you tell uh, the people listening about Pro Football Network, the mock draft simulator and, and some of the work you're doing over there?
0: I started with Pro Football Network last year, and it's fantastic. It's one of the best places I've ever worked. Um, we've got a lot of really cool stuff growing uh, or brewing, and the, the site's been growing extremely fast. Um, I got put in charge of maintaining the mock draft simulator, which you can go to at profootballnetwork.com/mockdraft, um, and it's been a lot of fun. I, I mean, it's it's not just flipping switches and pressing buttons. I do a lot of development work. Um, I didn't build the original program, but I built a lot of code on top of it that makes it more maintainable and easier to update. Um, We're going to be doing a lot of changes to it, too, to add additional options and things that people can do to try to improve that user experience. Um, And I'm in charge of our rankings, making sure that our rankings are done um, routinely and updated routinely. I make sure all of our picks are updated when there's trades and things like that. Um, but the site as a whole is, is going to continue to be doing new things. We started a cut tracker that people really dug, uh, because it allowed you to look at the entire NFL and filter by positions and things. Um, so if you, if your team needed a wide receiver, like Detroit did, you could just go there and select wide receivers, see all the cuts that people have done and be like, Oh yeah, I want this guy. I want this guy. Um, the lions did ultimately end up, uh, uh, claiming somebody on waivers that got cut. They, they claimed uh, Kadero Hodge from Cleveland. Um, I also did the uh, news tracker that they have up there. They have a a news tracker that you can go to to look up um, any updates in the NFL for injuries and uh, players that get traded and all basic news stuff that happens in the NFL. It's just a tracker that kind of goes through and and flows through and you can filter by your team and stuff. Um, We have a lot of other stuff in the work that I can't talk about, but it's going to be pretty cool, I think, once it gets done. Um, I've enjoyed my time there and it's, it's taken me away from writing and I, I, want to write right now. Uh, but it's a great site and it's a great place to go to get your draft content, to get your, your team content, your NFL content. And now that they've pulled in guys like Adam Beasley and Eric Moody and, uh, Tony Pauline and, you know, all those guys, the, the, the bigger names that they've been able to pull. Um, and of course, Trey Wingo now is, is, is a partner there. So um, a lot of really big things happened over there. It's been a blast. I love it.
1: Yeah. That's one of the sites that, that I always use for, for draft stuff when I'm trying to find scouting reports or I'm trying to get different opinions on uh, different players. I always go to to pro football network. So I hope anyone listening will give it uh, a bit of a look-see and try the mock draft simulator. I know there's, there's a whole bunch. I have not tried the pro football network one yet, but I certainly will. Uh, later on in the season, so now unfortunately maybe we have to talk I guess about the Detroit Lions and their season, and certainly for me, it, it seems like they're going to be competing for one of the top five uh, draft selections with you know the Jets, the Texans, the Raiders, probably the Eagles, teams like that, and I guess maybe the the saving grace depending on how you look at at it as a Detroit Lions fan is that the Houston Texans are in the league this year. So no one, no one's going to be worse than the Houston Texans. So there there is that. What do you think is, what are you, I don't know if you have expectations, obviously, like I said, I I think we both agree. They're not a great team this year, but what do you think is going to happen? Where where do you see them going this year? Um, in terms of, you know, win loss or however you want to look at it.
0: You know, I wouldn't count them out entirely. Uh, for that first overall pick, not for winning. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, nobody nobody expected the Jets to get the second overall pick last year. Everybody expected the Jets to just run away with that number one overall pick. Um, I'm, I'm actually a little disappointed that we don't have funner named players. Everybody in the top of the draft this year has a cool name, but they don't they don't rhyme well or alliterate well <laughs> with things like tank. Because we don't have the tank for Trevor or tank for Trevor. Right, that's true.
1: That's true. Like There's that. no
0: real... I mean, you might be able to do that for Thibodeau, you know, tank for Thibodeau. I guess that works. Um, but you know, if you're taking that number one overall pick, you're hoping that there's a quarterback worth taking. Um, I don't have a whole lot of expectations for this team. Uh, this this team doesn't have an identity coming into the season. Matthew Stafford provided the team with a pretty good identity for years because of, he's just one of those players that likes to go out and sling it. He doesn't like... Uh, throwing underneath passes. Jared Goff does. Jared Jared Goff loves to to throw underneath. He doesn't like to throw deep or or challenge. He doesn't deal well with pressure, but Stafford did well with pressure and he loved to throw deep. And that that helped the team keep an identity on offense for a decade. Uh, They also had, you know, Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate and Kenny Galladay. They had a solid stable of receivers the entire time that Matthew Stafford was there. And now they have Jared Goff throwing to Tyrell Williams and either one of Khalif Barnes, a kick returner uh, in his career, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, a a rookie from the mid rounds this year, um, or Quintus Cephas, who was a fifth round pick who ran a 4-7. So the options at receiver are extremely limited. And, you know, TJ Hawkinson can't do everything on his own. And if if your tight end is your primary target and you have nobody else, he's going to go run around a run over the middle a lot. He's going to take a lot of hits. That's not great for anybody. So I expect them to try to build through the run game with DeAndre Swift and uh, Jamal Williams. Uh, DeAndre Swift is currently injured. It sounds like he might play this week. Um, He was a full participant, I believe in practice today. Um, It's our first week of getting actual injury reports out and it's Wednesday. So it's our first day of getting actual injury reports Um, but Jamal Williams is a decent second option. He's he's actually a good second option for RB two. Um, they don't have a lot of depth behind that, but they're probably going to try to just run everything through the run game. And they've got a solid enough offensive line led by Frank Ragnow, who's the best center in the NFL, um, that they can do a lot of really good work there. And I think that's what they're going to try to do, but that can't get you very far. If you don't have a threatening pass game, or at least a competent one. Because eventually those those corners and those safeties are just going to play a little bit closer to the line. They're going to start taking away those running lanes, and it's going to be even more difficult to do it. And if you don't have the ability to threaten downfield after that, you just don't have what it takes. Uh, The Lions were almost dead last in most offensive and defensive categories last year. Um, Their defense was abysmal. It was one of the worst defenses in NFL history last year um, their individual position groups on defense, just to get an idea of how bad the defense was last year. Um, the, uh, average AV, which is a metric that pro football reference uses to tell how good a player was over the course of the season. Um, the average AV for their safety group, for their linebacker group, for their cornerback group, for their defensive line, was bottom five in the NFL in all of
1: those positions. Not just
0: not just one or two, all of them. So oh, it geez. wasn't great.
1: Yeah, that I
0: think. <laughs> uh, hoping for some improvement there. Um, yeah. Some of that's some of that's gonna happen by default because Matt Patricia just wasn't a very good defensive coach. Um, and Aaron Glenn seems to have a really good head on his shoulders. Another another great signing was Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator that they got from the Saints. He has has had a really good reputation. For several years for developing talent, and it seems like he hit the ground running here. Uh, but that can only get you so far if you don't have the players, and they don't yet.
1: right. And and I was just about to say, uh, it seems like maybe they have a pretty decent offensive line. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I'd call it great, but obviously, it looks like that would be something where they'd want to they'd want to run the ball a lot. And looking at the defense, it's kind of this this uh, you know. A bunch of guys with sort of name recognition who are maybe a little bit older. Uh, a, a blend of some young guys. They certainly have a guy who I was hoping that my favorite team uh, took in the draft and Melifanwu. So a little disappointed about that. Uh, and I got to ask you about Jeff Okuda because he's a guy who, uh, you know, I was hearing all oh, Jeff, what's wrong with Jeff Okuda? Uh, maybe you know there are people writing him off already. After you know one year in the league, what are your thoughts on Akuta? Um, I you know I don't know if it, it you can call it what was his problem last year aside from the fact that he was being coached by Matt Patricia, but <laughs> but uh, you know, what do you what do you expect or what do you think about him at this point? He also dealt
0: with some injuries last year that I'm sure played a part in that. Um, but it wasn't all of it, you know, he really did need to perform a lot better than he did, even given the circumstances last year, playing with a, a pretty bad coach and a bad scheme and no pass rush and dealing with injuries. That's not a good sign for any corner, uh, but you would still expect him to flash more than he did. Um, it wasn't a completely wasted year. There were times when he did look really good. Um, it was just, wasn't over the course of a whole game or consistently. And you need him to do that as a high of a pick as he was. Um, Jeff Okuda really impressed me, not just because of his play, uh, coming out of college, but because of his preparedness and how he approached the game, um, from a mental standpoint. And generally that means that they have an easier time acclimating to the NFL, but it seemed like you really struggled there. And that's unfortunate because it could just mean that I was, I was wrong about, about what I thought the player was skilled in, um, but that's still something that he prides himself on his tape work and his ability to evaluate tape and try to learn from it. Um, and I'm hopeful that with a much better defensive coordinator whose focus is on the secondary um, is going to help him there. He's going to be starting the season on the outside with uh, former fifth round pick, Amani Oruwari. I, I never get that wrong. and I just did. That's a tough one. <laughs> Amani Oruwarie, um is going to be starting on the other side. Um, and the hope is that they pick up right where they left off and improve from where they left off and get better. Um, even with a bad of a coach as Matt Patricia was last year, or a warrior took a huge step forward in that secondary and took over a starting position. That's a positive sign for somebody like Okuda, because it shows that even in a bad scheme, you can get better. You can improve. You can, you can rise above your circumstances. So the hope is that he gets a lot better um, the expectation is that he gets a lot better. Uh, but I guess we'll see when the games start being played.
1: Yeah, and I know we've we've talked a lot about sort of, um, you know, negative stuff, right, because the they're not a great team. Are there any positives that, you know, or bright spots maybe that, that people should be looking for with the Lions this year or or any sort of, uh, you know, encouraging signs that, that you've seen throughout training camp?
0: Oh, absolutely. See, that's one of the, the good things about a team that's, that's gotten torn down so much is that the bright spots really stand out. You know? um, TJ Hawkinson was a really good tight end in, in 2020. Um, the drop-off from the top three tight ends in the NFL to the next tier is significant. It is not a small drop. Um, and he's in that second tier. That's not a bad place to be. There's a lot of really good players there. I would love to see Hawkinson jump into that that top tier, but that's a ridiculous expectation at this stage of the NFL based on how the last couple of seasons have gone. Uh, But Hawkinson's a really good player, and he was such a highly touted prospect coming out, and he's improved each year that he's been out. And he's a pretty cool dude who seems to fit in right at home with with, uh, Campbell and his type of guy. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see him play. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, Alan McNeil is one of my favorite players coming out last year. I love athletic nose tackles. They are rare. They almost never come out uh, of college. Not meaning that they stay forever. It's just they don't, they don't exist in general. There aren't many athletic nose tackles. And McNeil is an extremely athletic nose tackle. Nose tackle is not an exciting position. It's a space eater where the guy just sits there and tries to take up as, much, as many blockers as he can. Uh, But the Lions paired him with Levi Anuzrique, who's an extremely explosive uh, interior pass rusher. So having a a pairing like that and seeing if those two can start to gel together um, really makes me hopeful that we see a a similar situation to what we had with the Vikings several years ago with Pat and Kevin Williams, where Pat Williams just took up all the space um, and Kevin Williams just destroyed everybody on the interior. Um, fun point of note: I always love to point out is that Pat Williams was probably three forty when he played. He was
1: a huge, oh, huge, oh, interior. definitely. Uh,
0: the Vikings listed him. I think it was, I think it was either three ten or three fifteen. His entire career, they never changed it, and it was very clearly incorrect. <laughs> but they never changed it. And
1: um, yeah, n- but, I mean, neither did the Bills, right? I mean, the Bills had him and Ted Washington. Yeah. And you know, I'm like Ted Washington, they listed at like 390 and they listed Pat Williams at like 310. And I'm like, I don't know about that. Yeah, no,
0: but yeah, it's it's going to be fun for me to see those type That type of pairing is, is great because you have a really good opportunity to see uh, both players shine in a, in a defense, but the potential to wreck a game on the interior is so much fun when it works. Um, And it's actually the Vikings, again, later, um, when Zimmer first started building his team, that's where he made his money originally when Zimmer first landed with the Vikings was the interior pass rush. He did it with uh, a lot of blitzing and a lot of really creative um, fronts and creative looks on the defensive line um, and are just great at at identifying and developing defensive line talent. But um, it's always funner when your defensive line is wreaking havoc. And that's the hope. Uh, we brought Romeo Aquara back. Romeo Aquara is a good pass rusher. He he ended the year as one of the top probably three pass rushers in the NFL at the end of 2020. Um, but that's not how he played before that. Even if you look at his stats, you might think that he played really good before that, but he he didn't really. So the hope is that he brings that energy from the end of the season into this year, and he could be a monster if he does. Uh, They also have his brother, Julian Aquara, who has looked really good as a pass rusher and not as a run defender. But if he can be really good as a pass rusher also, and those two interior guys do their work and Romeo does his work, it could open up a lot for Julian on the other side. You don't get a lot of brother teams in the NFL. It would be pretty cool if the Lions were able to hit on Julian Aquara and have both of those guys out there making life miserable for other people.
1: Yeah, that would be really, really interesting. That certainly is something you don't see a lot, um, you know, certainly in this day and age. Do you, you want to give us a record prediction or a, or, or a draft uh, pick slot position uh, before we get out of here? It's
0: hard to lose every game. Um, the Lions will contend for that, though. Um, there's a couple of really bad teams in the NFL. You mentioned the Houston Texans. They're really bad. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars don't look very good and they're bringing in a rookie quarterback who doesn't have a lot to work with. And a head coach who's a rookie. So th- it's not going to be an easy road to that top pick. Somebody's going to luck in with just enough wins like the jets did last year. Uh, but I believe the lions are probably picking in the top five next year. Um, it's, it's hard for me to see them winning even as many as three games with this current roster. There's just, such a lack of talent at important positions, particularly on offensive skill positions, um, that it's hard to see them doing a whole lot or making any waves.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that. And I want to thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you uh, taking some time in your day. And why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter or, you know, anywhere else, the pro football network, all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, you can always find me on Twitter at mathbomb, And like you said earlier, I'm, I'm pretty accessible. I love talking football. Um, don't take me too seriously if I sound like I'm being too serious. That's just how I, how I talk. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm very active on social media. I love going on Twitter and talking football with fans. You can also find me at my own website, which is ras.football, RAS.football. Um, you can actually go up, look up any player's athletic testing from the last 36 years. What, oh, I think it is 1987 all the way to 2021. Um, all of it's free. There's nothing that you have to pay for to go on there. You can go there look up any player and their, their testing metrics and get as much of that information as you can. We actually just launched a compare card where you can compare two players side by side and look at their testing metrics, which is pretty neat. It's always fun to go look at a couple of different guys and see how they stack up to one another. Uh, You can also find me at Pro Football Network. Uh, As mentioned, I I help run the mock draft simulator over there. Go ahead and try that out. Still a little early in the season, but it never hurts to look ahead and see the types of players that you need to be paying attention to as the season goes along. We update that weekly. So if you see a guy rated really high and he plays like garbage, he's probably not going to be really high next week. So try me out at those places, and, and hopefully you enjoy the football year as much as I do.
1: And once again, I want to thank you for coming on. And I want to thank everybody for listening. This was the first episode of the TTP football show going forward uh, from now. We're going to either have two or three weekly episodes. Not really sure. uh, Probably Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. This was a little different because this is opening week. Uh, You know, big day for everybody. So release the first one on this Thursday. The website will launch, uh, I believe, tomorrow. We'll get the data up there. We'll get all the stuff going for you after the games this weekend. Once again, I appreciate everybody listening and enjoy the season and enjoy this weekend's slate of games.